as I was sitting here tonight, I was contemplating these questions and what came to mind, what came to mind that I seem to forget from time to time, and I think it's pretty universal, I forget that I am not what I think. That a thought, just as a thought of my mother is not my mother, a thought of myself is not myself. What I tend to forget, what we tend to forget, is that, um, is the, again I'm using language, but the divine in us. The line that I often think of is that the divine is in me as me, that I am, in fact, what I'm looking for. Not the idea of myself that I'm looking for, but my true nature, my Buddha nature, my pure nature, nature of, of some would say a Buddha nature, pure consciousness, wakefulness, the unborn, the unconditioned, that in me which is never, was never born and never dies, that doesn't come, doesn't go, that is deathless, unconditioned. Uh, that I forget. And I chronically forget that I am, I am uh, not, just again repeating, I am not what I imagine myself to be. I am not that, uh, that distorted version of myself that plays in my mind. I am not the one who is above, below, or equal to someone else. I am not, I am not reducible to characterizations, to titles, to roles, even to, even to the idea of being a human. I'm not even limited to that. That's another idea. It's a useful idea, but it's not the absolute truth. What the Buddha suggested that besides forgetting our Buddha nature and the encouragement that we, that what we need to remember is that, uh, that unconditioned nature, that the nature, the freedom that exists is the very nature of our own mind, that our, that our very nature is before we can remind ourselves, based on our memories, that we are bound, our, our inherent nature is free and open, never been limited, never affected, either improved by the pleasant and fortunate conditions of our life, nor diminished by the, the really di inevitable difficult conditions of our lives. That's what we forget. This is also what the Buddha suggested that we remember, and he, he described what we needed to remember in order to remember our deepest nature. We need to remember that the life that we, this human experience that we're having, in spite of being uh, this spark of light, of divinity, we are... Some, in some traditions, would say we are spiritual beings having a human experience. And we need to remember that what comes with that human experience, 
that is not an aberration, that is not just limited to some, but is but what comes with that human experience is a whole range of stress, stressors and stresses. We need to remember, we forget that everyone who is born into this world has stress. It's everyone has just the stress of being born, the stress of getting old, the stress of getting sick, stress of, in my case, the last, I'm in my third week of back dukkha, the stress of body dukkha, the stress of mental dukkha, the stress of not the mental dukkha of my reactivity to the body dukkha, but the stress of not getting what I want in my life, and the stress of not wanting what I get. This is what we all uh, forget is a universal experience and not just me even though part of our internal narrative is that is that if I'm having stress uh, I'm the, I somehow am the only one everyone else looks like they're having a good time so the Buddha invited us to remember that stress is inevitable and what keeps us bound up in that stress. Another thing that we forget and need to remember, what keeps us bound up in that stress is that chronic desire to, uh, for things to be different than the way they are. Our contentiousness with the truth, not being in harmony with the truth, wanting things, wanting ourselves to be different, wanting others to be different, wanting the world to be different. The state of wanting things to be different when we are not completely aware of that but lost in it keeps us in a state of tension a state of suspended happiness a state of suspended well-being as I often like to say constantly waiting for a future that never arrives because as Alan Watts says time is always now there is no salvation in time. That the only place we can find freedom is now. But our mind hypnotizes us into postponing the sense of freedom uh, to some imagined future that never arrives. So our, this state of craving for things to be different, wanting, hunger, thirst, keeps our bodies in a state of, of contraction, of worry, of anxiety. Because there is always that uncertainty whenever in regard to anything in the future because it doesn't even exist. There's always an uncertainty whether our, un our present, our future moments, future present moments will work out the way we want them to. Any of you have that in your life? Well, the Buddha wants us to not to forget that this, is, this causes us a tremendous suffering and to notice that. He said with the first one that life is stressful, we need to completely open to this truth. And the second truth that our, what keeps our, perpetuates us on a kind of wheel of, of hope and expectation and waiting, what keeps us on that, uh, that state of craving, it needs to be abandoned. 
That's what we need to remember. This, is, can be, this needs to be relinquished. We need to learn how to let go. Let ourselves be right where we are to reclaim our heritage, as Thich Nhat Hanh said. He said, you who were the richest person on earth been going around begging for a living, stop being that destitute child. Come home, reclaim your heritage. So you can practice this right now, remembering to let go, to let be. And ideally, this may, you may, as you hear this, you may think, oh, this means that I have to just not do anything, be a blob. But in fact, this letting go helps you reconnect, helps each of us reconnect with an inexhaustible resource called presence. So it unleashes, a, a, as one of my teachers, Nisargadatta, said, it unleashes a light and a love you've never known yet. You recognize it at once as your own nature. It says once you've tasted that living presence, that light of attention, that you'll never be the same person again. It says that the unruly mind will break that vision, obliterate that peace, but it's bound to return if the effort is sustained. Till all bonds are broken, this grasping and attachment ends, and life becomes supremely concentrated in the present. This is what we forget. We, are, we have only and are ever right here. We only imagine that we go somewhere else, and every time we imagine that we were somewhere else or need to get somewhere else, the, the life force drains out of us. We lose that contact. We lose that sense of immediacy, that vividness, that wakefulness. So the Buddha also said that we forget that and need to remember that there is the possibility in this very life of the cessation, of the end of this kind of turbulence, this kind of perseveration, this kind of torment in our minds of, of hope and weight and desire. There is an end to it. There is, a, there is a capacity in each of us right here if we stop waiting to experience what he called the sure heart's release. A sense of abandoning the cause of suffering and realizing the third truth he talked about there is an end to suffering, and the recipe for that, the prescription for that diagnosis is to uh, realize it. And don't wait. Don't wait. Remember, remember, remember. Fourth truth there's, and this is what we, this is the how of it all. It says that we, uh, how can we remember is, he said that there's a path. There is a path that uh, can be followed, that can be practiced, that can be created, really. I think that's the most, maybe more important, something that, a path that is created. And that reminds us all that, that a path is not something that we just follow, that somebody else has done and we become meditators and look like other meditators and talk like other meditators, but we, a path that's created in the fabric of our own life as ourselves, the divine is in you, as you, that unique expression of life, 
that whose practice will look only like your practice. You may be able to talk about your practice with other people who are practicing, but don't expect it to sound the same. Don't expect your challenges and difficulties. Some of them are universal, but yours will look just the way it, the way it is. But there do seem to be some general characteristics. There's some general things that we forget and that we need to remember. That there are, diff there are ways in this world that it's easy to forget. There are ways of being truly happy and well. There are ways to be, it is possible to be truly happy and well. Now that sounds almost strange in this world that has mostly, uh, as I, I was actually speaking to someone about this today, we don't have too many models of well-being and health and happiness. Most of our models are, are of pathology and, and damage control and fixing, but not so much of a kind of positive vision of, of well-being. But the Buddha reminds us, what's easily forgotten is it's truly possible to be happy. And he talked about basically four stages of happiness that each of us, and I say this partly for those who have committed to 100 days of meditation and may, maybe forgot why you're doing it, and forgot, forgot why you're doing anything in regard to spiritual practice. We know kind of implicitly that we do it to be happier, to feel better, but sometimes it's just stress relief or, or something. We forget the possibility of our practice. And the first possibility is that we, and what really helps us stay in a state of remembering and not forgetting is that we make our whole life our practice. We make everything we do. And that includes from the moment you wake up in the morning till the time you go to bed, you make the, this potential of being happy the hub, the conscious hub around which you do everything. And the first part of that process first kind of happiness that the Buddha spoke about was the happiness of, that comes from being a, a person who lives a life of non-harming. A person practicing every day, trying to speak in a way that is harmonious, kind, timely, truthful, for the benefit of who ever we might be speaking to, rather than to harm them, to, to speak not just as a way of discharging our stress. As Cahil Gibran says, those who can't live in the quietness of their hearts live in their lips. I don't know. I probably said everything in these Dharma talks before, but someone once gave me a card with that saying on it for my 28th or 29th birthday. And it was supposed to be a gift. <laughs> it was a wake-up call. Now I have to give you a little bit of the backstory. The person had a crush on me and I was not very obliging 
and the and I didn't realize I wanted to be this person's friend very much. I wanted to be this person's friend, but they really shut down and they weren't they weren't nice to me anymore. And in my young ignorance and innocence, the way I dealt with them not being so open to me is that I tried harder and harder to get them to like me, which meant that I filled up all those uncomfortable spaces between us. And then she wrote me this card with the Cahill Gabran. <laughs> People who can't live in the quietness of their hearts live in their lips. Anyway, it's been a great lesson. So wise speech, learning how to be conscious with not just what goes into our mouth, that's also a good thing to be conscious of, but what, maybe even more importantly, what comes out of our mouth. What's the motivation for what we're saying or not saying and being very clear about that. So not harming with speech, not harming with, um, not harming our planet, trying to live as much in harmony with nature as possible, being sensitive to that every day, being not harming in our sensual, sexual relationships, not clouding our perception with intoxicants that, that lead to so much suffering and heedlessness, to, to not uh, to be respectful of other people's property, uh, to respect other people's lives, value other people's lives, to value our own lives, not to cause harm to ourselves or others. The Buddha suggested that this kind of practice, something that we can do every single day, you don't have to go on retreat to do this, but every day, if you wake up and you make it, make it a uh, a conscious practice of non-harming. It is understood, and I can speak somewhat from my own experience, I'm, although I'm a work in progress, that this kind of practice of non-harming leads to uh, what the Buddha called the bliss of blamelessness, a kind of happiness of not, of knowing that that there's nothing that you need to hide, that you are comfortable in your skin, you're not reverberating from the effects of what you've said, what you've done or haven't done, that you can, that you're at peace with yourself. And because your very, your very field of presence has that quality of non-harming, because as you all know, I don't think it's such a uh, new age or, or woo-woo kind of thing, we all are transmitting the state of our consciousness to each other every day. We are impacting each other. We've all felt it when someone comes in the room who's quite happy and someone who comes in the room who's, who is irritated, angry. This is not to say you, you, don't, you shouldn't feel irritated or angry. We do, whether we like it or not. But we are impacting each other by our state of mind. But the state of purity that comes from purity of action gives off a scent where people tend to relax around you. People tend to not be afraid of you. People tend to not have to put up defenses to protect themselves from you. So this is, you also give, if you have this kind of happiness, the happiness of, of non-harming, 
you give people what the Buddha called the gift of fearlessness. People don't have to be afraid. This is something we forget, that there is a, we have the power of happiness in our, own, in our own hands. We're not just victims to our, uh, to our uh, minds, that we, car- we not only have to, although we do experience the fruits of our past actions, we also have the benefit of being able to, in every moment of creative, every moment is a moment of creative possibility, we have the power to plant the seeds that will produce uh, the very happiness that I'm describing. And that is really how you live your life. And when you think about that in the moment that you wake up in the morning, so I always recommend put a list on your refrigerator of the five basic training guidelines, ethical guidelines. Not killing, not stealing, not being exploited in sexuality, wise speech, not telling, you know, everything I've just said, and not taking intoxicants uh, to the point of heedlessness. Put them on your refrigerator. Think about it every morning. Plant that seed. It brings happiness. I think anybody that's really taken this practice on has found a certain, a certain kind of joy of non-harming, some variation of it. The Buddha said that not only can we have the happiness that comes from non-harming, but we are also so eminently trainable that we're not just stuck with the minds that we have. That our minds are, that we can actually train our attention to stay here. To not be so caught up in there and then, but be more actually focused in here and now. As I said from Nisargadatta, to have our life supremely concentrated in the present. And the Buddha recommended that we, as a foundation for our practice, we have both non-harming and that we cultivate the qualities of mind, because our we, our minds are quite creative, that we cultivate the qualities of mind that bring, that bring a, a state of, of tranquility, calm abiding, concentration, and um, lightness to the mind. That's what's called samadhi. The happiness of a mind that is well collected and composed. And how do we do that? How do we remember the happiness of a concentrated mind? We keep directing our attention to, in our formal practice, to either changing objects of meditation or to a single object of meditation. Many people, and what I often offer on Tuesday nights because it's kind of simple, is using the breath and the body as our primary anchor. You do this again and again, you keep doing it again and again and again and again and again, you will notice that your mind and body start to come together in harmony. You start to feel a sense of presence, aliveness, start to feel a sense of calm and rapture and comfort, start to feel a kind of energy, of a power in the mind, a focalized, focalized power instead of a scattered, dis- dispersed quality. This is all within our power if we remember to collect ourselves here 
in the present moment. The great Zen poet Ryokan said, Buddha is your mind and the way goes nowhere. Don't look for anything but this. If you point your cart north when you want to go south, how will you ever arrive? Buddha is your mind. So it's all about your mind here, which we call here and now, but it's nowhere. It's not any locatable place, really. It's just you, now. We have the power to remember this again and again. It's wonderful, though, to use our body, to use our breath, because they anchor us here. If you feel your body, you know you're here. It's always here. So take advantage of it. Put your mind in your body, your body in your mind. You can use it as a mantra. Put my mind in my body, my body in my mind. Put my mind in my body. Let's do it all together. Mind in the body, body in the mind. Mind in the body, body in the mind. Sorry. <laughs> Now, it's a, the happiness that I'm talking about a concentrated mind that the Buddha waxed a lot about because it, the, this concentrated mind can lead to uh, profound states of concentration, profound states of happiness. But the Buddha reminded us in his teachings that this happiness, although very supportive and very helpful, very healing, very transformative, uh, this kind of happiness of a concentrated heart and mind is temporary. And his recommendation was that we don't stop here, but that we actually aim for an even higher kind of happiness, a more reliable kind of happiness, a happiness of freedom, a happiness of liberation. And you'll find that most traditions that are that offer meditation practice offer basically two kinds of traditions. Those traditions that offer teachings on the, that culminate in high states of tranquility and those that, that culminate in, in freedom, in the sense of everything being welcomed. The sense of freedom that means whatever is happening, in your mind and body, whether it's a rarefied state or a completely painful, horrific, impossible state, that each of them, freedom means being able to ride those waves with a state of balance and openness and the capacity to meet those joys and sorrows with, without uh, so much reactivity to be unplugged from dependency on our situation or our experience being one way or another for our sense of well-being. It's easy to talk about this, but not so easy to actually achieve this. Because we are, because of that first truth, we're faced with sometimes impossible. I, was, I, I wasn't going to complain tonight, but I had 12 hours on Sunday where I had unabated sciatic nerve pain so down my entire leg, so excruciating that I was screaming and crying. 
I, was, I realized then that I am a work in progress as far as equanimity goes. It, equanimity was out the window. But I also realized that in, in many cases in my life, in a lot of ways, equanimity has settled in. I, I don't, as much as I used to, sweat the difficulties and the... I, I don't sweat things. As, I don't add to what's already difficult situations as much as I used to. We do have that capacity to be free in the middle of even very unpleasant situations. I couldn't so easily with, with the pain I was in this weekend, but that's my practice. And hopefully it's your practice too. Let's see what else was I going to say. So the Buddha recommended that we aim for not just the happiness of being less reactive and having equanimity, but ultimately the, to aim for the highest happiness, the happiness of liberation, of a heart that is, that is really, really free, where the, certain t the tendencies of mind that have kept us bound up in trying to be special, trying to be better than, let, worried about being less than, that those tendencies of mind are so, uh, become so mute that they're literally uprooted from our consciousness. That we cease to feel that, that, um, that state of conceit, that state of comparing, that state of pride that, um, that is like quicksand, that's easily shaken. And that this is a possibility. So there are these traditions that, that are based on calm abiding and tranquility and traditions based on wisdom. The Buddha recommended that we remember that we have this capacity for freedom. And he, he suggested that if we aim for that highest kind of happiness and freedom, that all the other kinds of, of happiness and pleasure will come in their wake. But we have to remember why we're doing this. We're doing this to be free. Now, you may not be doing it to be free. The most important thing at first is to be honest about why you are practicing. If it's just about self-improvement, if it's just about more pleasure, it's, if it's just about more sense pleasures, you'll be disappointed because it really is about this kind of happiness that, um, that doesn't depend on those things. It's not just uh, about, as one of my teachers called it, high-class samsara. <laughs> it's about freedom. So that's all I have to say. Are there any comments or questions before we call it a night? Anything that you've thought of that you forget that you need to remember? Please. Yes, well, I, I talked about the other objects, but we use a primary anchor. And I usually encourage people to connect and, and sustain their awareness to the breath and be gracious when other experiences arise. But there are, there are other ways of practicing where you simply use awareness as your anchor, just knowing that you're knowing, or whether you use sound as your anchor, or use just the sitting posture as your anchor, or use, um, or use uh, light as your anchor. You, there are many different things.
Tonight, for example, I used my face muscles as an anchor. And it was so fun to see how the, how the face, how the face forms around our personality view, our identities. And it kind of takes on its, its persona. And how different the face is when you just let the face be the face. And I noticed that it softens. And I noticed when the face softened, mind softened. Mind got much quieter. And then much more easy to have a calm abiding, much more easy to stay with the, with the anchor of the in and out of the breath, that was what, that's what came next, but, so that's, many different things you can pay attention to. Anyone else want to name something that they forget they would like to remember, that, they, that needs to be remembered? Please. Sometimes I forget that feeling bad doesn't mean something's wrong, and I forget to turn toward it. Yes, oh, the Linda says that, that feeling, that she sometimes forgets that feeling bad doesn't mean that there's something wrong and the remembering to turn toward it. That, re, that, that constant reminder that we need that the cure for pain is in the pain. The cure for pain is in the pain. In, I have to say in the moments that I just let myself completely feel the sensation of, of sciatic nerve pain, there were a few little flashes of, of um, freedom in there, but they were very short-lived. <laughs> but that is the challenge. Thank you for reminding us of that. The other thing that the, just while we're on the subject, the three things that the Buddha wanted us to remember that are so easy to forget, the three common misperceptions that we have. The misperception is that that which is actually, which is everything that's actually changing, we take to be uh, unchanging or something. That which we take to be uh, reliable, something lasting, it's not, it's not reliable. Pleasures, experiences, it's actually unsatisfactory. And that which we take to be personal and me and mine, self, is not self. Just a changing condition. That's another talk. So thanks for listening. Hope you all remember and, and are gracious when you realize you've forgotten. Practicing everyday forgiveness and loving kindness as well as a regular reminder of the potential that you have and we have for the Sure Heart's release. And as usual, I'd like us to consider that if there has been any benefit to our being together, any goodness, any fruits of our practice, any blessings, anything that's been helpful to our practice together, that we let it fill our hearts and let it overflow uh, toward all beings everywhere including ourselves, let it overflow and radiate to all the beings in this world who, are, who have been born into this world of stress, who are under siege of stress, those who are in pleasant circumstances, unpleasant circumstances. Not to forget that there are pleasant circumstances. 
It's not all the sky is falling. But that we share the blessings of our practice with all beings everywhere and punctuate those blessings with a deep wish that all beings can have all kinds of happiness and the causes of happiness growing in their lives, increasing. That all beings can be free of suffering and the causes of suffering every day decreasing. That is our capacity. That all beings can recognize that Buddha nature, that sacred happiness that is without sorrow here and now, when we don't look back and we don't look ahead. We let ourselves rest. And a deep wish that all beings can at least grow in serenity and equanimity, able to meet the joys and the sorrows with less reactivity. And ultimately, a dedication of our practice every day, devotion of our practice to the welfare and benefit of all beings. May our practice touch the hearts of everyone who has to live with us and all beings everywhere. May all beings be free. Responses that teachers have given since the Buddha is by being, by having the intention of practicing. Um, and as Howie was talking about, and as, as many as you know, um, sitting silently in our chair or on our cushion during meditation is, is just one form of practice. And you know, many of us are familiar with other. Other forms, such as the hard practices of loving kindness, compassion. But, you know, I was thinking today, how often do we really reflect on the practice of dana? Because dana is another, another practice. We, we hear every week that it costs $150 to rent this space for our sitting. And we hear about how the teachings are freely given. And... We hear about the principle of dana or generosity. And that, that, that principle is that if you're gladdened or inspired or grateful for the teachings that you received here, then you give with a sincere and thoughtful attitude. The idea of the principle of dana is that it reinforces the gladness that inspired your, your gift. And it also reinforces the value of your generosity. 
So Howie's practice of Donna, one form of his, how his practice is by giving us the teachings, and which he does with a really glad and open heart and mind. So bringing it back to our own practice, how often are we mindful about how it really feels to give on Tuesday night when we put our money in the basket? So this week I'd like to ask everybody to really try to practice it. Play with it, see how it feels. Pay mindful attention to, you know, the whole process from when you pull out your purse or your wallet to figuring out how much money you're going to put in the basket to walking over there to putting it in. You know, just investigate that. Practice with it. See how it feels. And um, thank you for your practice and for your generosity. Thank you, Heather. Thank you, Lisa. I'm not sure... Just to change the tune a little bit, one of our Sangha members is, has uh, her housing right now is being threatened and is wondering whether there is anyone in the Sangha that, can, uh, that has the wherewithal or the knowledge of anyone who can provide housing right now for someone who's, uh, I, I don't know about the uh, financial limitations, but if there's any way to have some very uh, reasonable housing available, please uh, come up in this direction after we end and the person uh, who needs it will be up here with me. Okay? So thank you for your practice. Thank you for your dana. Thank you for your consideration of helping to provide housing for someone in need. Thank you. Is it this one, this one? Which one is it? Left or right? Um, that one. And then it goes here. Right. Yeah. So this file will be, it's a process to get off, but I can show you one day when you can record your lectures on the fly when you're not here. Or not. So, so, but I, I, I got this one to work, so I will... Um, Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.